What a week. Wow. Golly. Three busted pops later, I'm here. It's good to be here. Um, somebody was messing with them the other day. They, maybe they were messing with me. They said, uh, you know, Pastor, since you've come, <clears throat> we've had two hurricanes and historic winter weather. Is the Lord trying to tell us something? Maybe so. <clears throat> maybe so. It's good to be in the house of God together. I'm excited about this text today. I've had a lot of time to work on it. <clears throat> By the way, this, uh, this praise team didn't get to practice this week, so they did pretty good considering they didn't get to practice. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 today. I think we're going to start in verse 2. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start in verse 2 here in just a minute. <clears throat> Excuse me. Before we look at today's text, I think it's important to remember what we talked about last week, which seems like an eternity ago, amen? But Peter taught us that one of the marks of a true believer is that we have a passion for God's word, that we have a longing for God's word. And, the, and so if we have sin in our lives, then we need to put away that sin, we need to take off that sin in order for that longing to, to come out of us and we desire the word of God. Today what he's gonna do is he's gonna talk about what happens when that desire shows up, when that longing for God, God's word appears. To put it plainly, what Peter's doing today is he's, he's teaching us how to, how to have a quiet time. He's teaching us how we are to approach God during our time in the word. And I think that's an important subject for us because if you grew up in church like I did, then one of the things you've been told your whole life is you need to be spending time in God's word. And that you need to be reading your Bible and you need to be doing consistently. But if I were to ask every believer in the room <clears throat> these three questions, if I asked you like, hey, how are you supposed to spend time in the Word? In other words, how are you supposed to approach God during your time in the Word? How would you answer that question? You know, if I were to ask you, What's happening when you sit down, you have a quiet time, you spend time in God's word, you read it, you study it, like what is God doing in you during that time? How would you answer it? And if I were to ask you this, why is it so important that we get into this book? Why is it so critical that we spend time in his word? How would you answer it? I think our answers honestly would be all over the map and so here's what Peter's gonna do today. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse four through six, Peter ad addresses those three questions. He answers those three questions. He's asking how we approach God during our time in the Word. He's gonna talk about um, what God is doing in us as we go through and approach God through the Word. And then finally, he's gonna answer why it is that it's so important that we go to the Lord and approach the Lord through His Word. Now, here's what I did. I was gonna do all three of those points in one Sunday. I was gonna try to do all three of those points today. Typically, my sermon notes are about eight pages long. <clears throat> I, uh, I got through the first point, how do we approach God through his word, and I was at seven and a half pages, all right? So we're not doing three points today. So I turned that, and y'all are like, amen. So I, I put this into a three-week series. And so we're gonna do a three-week series starting this week. We're calling it Drawing Near to God. And we're gonna look at those three things how we study God's word, what is God doing in us through his word, and then finally, why is it so important that we approach God through his word? I think it's gonna be good for us. As I learned this this week, as I studied it, it radically changed my view of how I'm supposed to have a quiet time. 
and I hope it does the same to you. All right, so let's, uh, let's jump in here. First Peter chapter two, verse two. Let's pick up where we left off last week. Peter says, like newborn infants, <clears throat> long for the pure spiritual milk. He's talking about the word there. That by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here's where we jump in today in verse four. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, Here's what we're gonna do. Here's the first, we're gonna address the first question today. That's how should we approach God during our time in his word? Okay, is there a way that we're actually supposed to approach the Lord during that time? Well, I want you to look at 1 Peter 2, 4. And I want you to look at what Peter says. Because what Peter says in the first five words of this sentence addresses how you and I are to approach God through our times in, in the word of God. First Peter 2, 4. Peter says, as you come to him. As you come to him. Now I'm gonna stop right there and we're gonna spend the overwhelming majority of our sermon today focusing on those five words. And so look at it together. Peter says, as you come to him. And those five simple words, Peter just told us how you and I should approach God during our time in his word. Now in English, it looks like a really simple phrase. Hey, as you come to him. But in the original language that the New Testament was written in, it is packed in meaning. Packed with meaning and it's packed with Old Testament imagery. Okay? Now listen carefully. I'm gonna tell you what that phrase means in the Greek and I want you to listen to me because I'm actually gonna use it a lot. We're gonna come back to it a lot. That phrase, as you come to him, comes from the Greek word prosurchamai. Prosurchamai. And it means as you draw near to God, as you approach God, as you draw near to him. And that was a word that was used a lot of times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is the Septuagint. And it was a word, hear this, it was a word that was used to describe as the high priest would draw near to the presence of God in the Holy of Holies in the temple, okay? <clears throat> that was the word that was used, prosurchamai, as the high priest drew near to the presence of God in the temple. Okay, now, let me talk about what that means for a second. <clears throat> Explain it to you. The Holy of Holies was the inner part of the temple sanctuary that contained the Ark of the Covenant, and the Holy of Holies was where the presence of God would appear, okay? <clears throat> the Holy of Holies <clears throat> was where the presence of God was, Ark of the Covenant, and in front of the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was, there was this huge veil. And they put that veil there to separate the people from the presence of God. And the reason that they did that is because God is absolutely holy and you and I are sinners, and they learn the hard way that you can't just roll up on the presence of God and not die. I mean, there's stories in the Old Testament 
Uh, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they kind of start wobbling. The Ark of the Covenant starts going back and forth. Dude puts his hand up on the Ark of the Covenant to keep it from falling over and he drops dead. And so important safety tip, be careful when you're entering into the presence of God. And so they put this big veil in front of the Holy of Holies. But once a year, during Yom Kippur, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and he would kill a goat and he would walk into the Holy of Holies very carefully and slowly and he would offer a blood sacrifice to pay and atone for the sins of the people for the year. Now, tradition has it that, and I've, I, I used to think that it was just a, a myth, but I've studied it and I, this is true, learned this in Israel. But the, the high temple priest was so nervous and was so uncertain about entering into the Holy of Holies and entering into the presence of God that he would tie a rope around his waist and leave the other end out on the other side of the veil so if he came in and he encountered the presence of God and he dropped it, they could drag his dead body out. True story, <clears throat> okay? So I want you to imagine what that experience must have been like for that priest to prosertimize to draw near to the presence of God. I imagine that he is approaching the Holy of Holies and the presence of God with a lot of, of excitement and awe and probably a good mixture of fear in there too. I imagine that as he approached that veil and he slowly opened that veil that his heart is beating out of his chest as he took that first step into the Holy of Holies on the presence of God. And as the high priest would slowly and carefully draw near to the presence of the Lord, that, you, that word that, that was used to describe his approaching and drawing near to the presence of God was prosertimai. And that's the exact word that Peter uses here in verse four. Look at it again. As you come to him, as you prosertimai, so keep in mind the context of what Peter's talking about. What's Peter been talking about, guys? He's talking about the word of God. Grass withers, flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. You're to long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. If you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, he is talking about the word of God. And then he says, as you come to him, as you prosearch am I, as you draw near to the presence of God, what he's doing, very, I'm convinced of this, Peter is talking about in those five words, you drawing near to the presence of God through his word. That's what he's talking about. <clears throat> and so let me ask you a question here. Let me just stop and ask you a question. As a believer, I'm assuming you read your Bible. How do you typically approach your time in the word of God? Like when, you, when you're about to have a quiet time, how do you approach the Lord during that time? I was thinking about how I typically did it. I start off with what I believe is probably the most important thing, and that's a cup of coffee. Amen? I'm joking. But I do. I get a cup of coffee, obviously. And then I sit down, wherever I'm at, my office, my home, and I pray a little bit, try to get my heart right, pray a little bit, and then I just jump in, start reading. I want you to listen carefully here. Don't miss this. When Peter says, as you come to him, 
He's using the exact same word used in the Old Testament that was used to describe how the high priest approached the Holy of Holies. And so I'm convinced that Peter is using that word to paint a picture for us. He's saying that you and I should draw near to the Lord through his word in the same way that the high priest drew near to the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, okay? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that's not how I approach God all the time. I don't know that I take it as seriously as the priest took drawing near to the Holy of Holies in the presence of the Lord. And so let's do something here. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter four. Let's go ahead and turn there with me. I'm I'm in the ESV today. If you have a different translation, it'll be close. The writer of Hebrews uses that phrase prosearchamai, drawing near, approaching God, multiple times in Hebrews. And what he's doing in Hebrews, we'll start in Hebrews 4.16, as he uses this word prosearchamai, what he's doing is, listen, he's describing how you and I as believers as people covered with the blood of Christ can now approach and draw near and search by the presence of God, all right? So let's go to Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. He says in uh, verse 16, he says, let us then with, everybody say that word, confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near, prosercimai in the Greek. He's saying, here's how you and I are to draw near to the presence of God. You and I are to approach him. I were to draw near, we're to approach the presence of God with confidence, which is interesting to me because that's a polar opposite of how the high priest would approach the presence of God in the temple. When the priest would enter the veil in the temple, Guys, can I just be honest with you? That if I were him, I would imagine that that guy is scared to death. He wore a rope around his waist for crying out loud because he didn't know if he encountered the presence of God whether or not he would die. I'm thinking it probably looks something like this. I'm thinking he, he got his game face on. He's got his, his, his hype music going in the background. He's getting fired up. Buddy's gave him a pep talk. And then he, you know, it's like, all right, we're doing this. And he slowly opens the veil. And then he closes his eyes real tight and takes one step into the Holy of Holies and thinks, I'm still alive. Slowly open his eyes. All right, I'm gonna take another step. Takes another step, looks around. I'm still alive. You think, I, I think that this guy, as he drew near to the presence of the Holy God, I think he was feeling a lot of things, but confidence wasn't one of them. And yet the writer of Hebrews clearly tells us, you and I can draw near. We can search and lie the Lord with confidence. Why was the priest scared to death? But you and I can approach the presence of God with confidence. The answer is found in Matthew 27.50. Don't turn there because we're going to stay in Hebrews. But uh, Matthew 27.50, Jesus is on the cross. Why can we approach the presence of God with confidence? 
It says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, watch this. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. That's a good day, folks. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. And so Jesus was on the cross. He'd shed his blood, making a one-time, once and for all time payment for our sin. He cries out, it is finished. He breathes his last breath. He yields up his spirit. He dies. And in that moment, the veil of the temple that covered the Holy of Holies was ripped from top to bottom. Why? Why did the death of Jesus rip the temple veil in half? And the answer is pretty amazing. The answer is that was God's way of saying that because of the blood of Jesus, you and I no longer have a separation between us and his presence. He's saying that because of the blood of Jesus, you and I can enter into the holy place of God because of the blood. We don't have to have a high priest anymore that can do it. We can do it. He's saying because of the blood of Jesus, you and I can draw near with confidence to the presence of Almighty God. So I love that. The, the, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us, he's reminding you of me that if you're covered with the blood of Jesus, you're completely forgiven. Jesus paid it all, folks. If you're covered with the blood of Christ, you're completely and totally and utterly holy in the sight of God. When he looks at you, he doesn't look at your sin, he sees the blood. And so because of that, because you're covered with the blood of Christ, you're completely forgiven and holy, you can walk with confidence and draw near to God with confidence because of the blood. I'll tell you a, kind of a funny story. Um, years ago, I went to Israel, and, um, and one of the places I went was the Wailing Wall. And one of the things that um, I learned about the Wailing Wall is the Wailing Wall was a wall that was there in the original temple way back in the day. And supposedly on the other side of the Wailing Wall was the Holy of Holies. It's where the presence of God hung out. And so what people will do now, and I'm going to show you a picture of it in just a second. But what people do now is they'll come and they'll get right up against this wall and they'll literally press their head up against the wall and they'll get as close as they can to the wall. And they put little notes in there and they pray and that sort of thing. I've got, I think I've got a picture of it. Do we have a picture? <clears throat> That's the wailing wall. They're leaning up and getting as close as they can to the wall. Now, here's why they're doing that. They're doing that because they're trying to get as close as they can to the presence of God. They're trying to press up against this wall because they think that the presence of God is on the other side. That's where the Holy of Holy was. And so they're trying to get as close to it as they can. And I was, a, I don't know, man, I was about 34 when I did this and I was young and stupid and I came real close, true story. I came real close. I was about, y'all can take that down. I was about 20 yards, 30 yards away and it took, I, I mean, I almost did it. Took everything, my, my power from shouting out, hey, everybody, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And he shed his blood. And when he shed his blood, he tore the veil in two. He tore down the wall. There is no veil. 
There is no wall. And you can just walk up to the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you have the blood of Christ, the presence of the living God lives inside of you. But I didn't. Because there's a lot of people walking around with M16s and I didn't want to get shot. But that's what I wanted to say. And so when Peter says, come to him, as you come to him, as you prosearch am I, here's what this means. Number one, we draw near to God in his word with confidence. That's the first thing you remember in your time of the word. We draw near to God in his word with confidence. Here's, here's number two. We draw near to God in his word with confidence and reverence. So we draw near to God, we prosearch am I to God now as believers with confidence because of the blood of Jesus, but also with reverence and awe. I'm gonna show you why. Look at Hebrews 12, 18. In Hebrews 12, 18, the author of Hebrews is describing Moses drawing near to God when God gave him the Ten Commandments. Right of Hebrews says, for you have not come, that's prosearch am I, it's actually a derivative of the word. For you have not drawn near, watch what it says. For you have not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. Then he goes on in verse 21, watch what he says. He said, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, okay? So the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, absolutely, you're covered with the blood of Jesus. Look, everybody check this out. You're covered with the blood of Jesus. So you can approach the throne of God with confidence, but then he gives us a warning. He says, as you approach the throne of God with confidence because you're covered with the blood of Jesus, you need to remember that you're not approaching someone that you can just reach out and touch. And then he tells us why here in a minute. He says, so terrifying actually was the sight of God. So terrifying was the presence of God that Moses, as he drew near to the presence of God, Moses was trembling. And that's fascinating to me because in Exodus, it tells us that when Moses, or rather when God spoke to Moses, when the Lord talked to Moses, that he talked to Moses and he spoke to Moses like a friend would talk to a friend. And so God is just chilling out. God's just being cool. He's not wrathful. He's not going crazy. He's just kind of talking to Moses the way a friend would talk to a friend. And yet Moses, one of the most incredible men of God that's ever lived, he's trembling when he encountered the presence of God. And so why? Why is Moses trembling as he draws near to the presence of God? The writer of Hebrews tells us why he was trembling. In Hebrews 12, 28, he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In other words, I know you're shaken, but the kingdom can't be shaken. And then he says, and thus, watch what he says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with what? with reverence and awe. Why? Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Writer of Hebrews says, here's the thing. 
You're completely forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. And so because of that, you can approach the throne of confidence, but don't ever forget, don't ever forget when you approach the presence of God, that confidence needs to be placed inside of the bookends of reverence and awe. For this reason, our God is a consuming fire. And he's not something you can just reach out and touch. So Peter says, when you come to him, as you draw near to God, you approach him and draw near him with confidence, but you also do it with reverence and awe. All right, here's the third one. Last thing right of Hebrews says, number three. Right of Hebrews tells us that we can draw near to God with confidence, with reverence, and with faith. Confidence, reverence, and faith. Turn quickly to Hebrews eleven six. He's talking about drawing near to God. And he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, whoever would prosearch him, whoever would approach his presence, he says two things. He says, one, you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So he's saying, look, as you draw near to the Lord, as you draw near to God, You need to do it in faith. You need to do believing that you're approaching God. You're approaching a good God that rewards people that seek him. And so I love this because what I think the writer of Hebrews, he's painting this beautiful picture of who God is. And he says, he says, look, so far, because of the blood, you approach him with confidence. Because he's a consuming fire, we need to approach him with reverence and awe. But what he just said is that because God is good, he's good. He's a good heavenly father. You need to approach him in faith, believing that he wants to reward his children that seek his face, okay? I, that verse, when I read that this week, it immediately reminded me of a, of a famous quote in one of C.S. Lewis's books called The Chronicles of Narnia. Every preacher in America preaches this once a year, so I apologize. You know what I'm talking about. It's a scene where you have Aslan. Aslan is a lion. He's the character that portrays Jesus. He's a lion. He's a big lion character named Lucy and she wants to meet Aslan but she's hesitant because he's a lion she never met a lion before and so she walks up to another character named Mr. Beaver she asked Mr. Beaver a question Lucy asked hey Aslan's a lion he's the lion he's the great lion and then she asked this question she said Mr. Beaver is he safe Is he safe? She said, I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver said, safe? Who said anything about safe? He said, of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I love that line. It does in fiction 
A good a job as anything I've ever seen in fiction to describe the character of Almighty God, that he is a lion and he's a king. And so safe is not an adjective we need to use to describe God. That's why I've never liked that phrase. Y'all remember that stupid t-shirt that came out years ago uh, that said, Jesus is my homeboy. Y'all remember that? Y'all weren't in Austin, so maybe y'all didn't see it. They were everywhere, that town. They had a shirt, picture of Jesus. It says, Jesus is my homeboy. I get what they're saying. But let me just tell you something. Jesus ain't your homeboy. He's the lion of Judah. And he's the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. And that's how you approach him. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying, as you approach the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the lion of Judah, you can do it in faith believing that he's good and that he wants to reward those who seek him. And so after all that, let's go back to the original question here. How should you and I approach our time in the word? How should this change how we have quiet times? First Peter 2, 4, Peter says, as you come to him, as you pro-search him, As you draw near, church, here's what I think it looks like. I think you go make a cup of coffee. I think you set that thing down. And I think you get on your knees, if you can. Or at least in your mind and heart, get on your knees. And you take some time to get your heart right before the Lord. You take some time to get your mind right before the Lord. And I think the first thing you do is you thank him. You take a moment and you thank him for the blood of Jesus that allows you to draw near to him in the first place. God, I thank you that you sent your son that died on a cross. And so now, because my sin is forgiven, I can draw with confidence, draw near to you with confidence. But then I think you take a moment and you humble yourself before this God, the one true God who is the Lion of Judah and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and an all-consuming fire. And you humble yourself before him and you, and you approach him. You continue to draw near to him, yes, with confidence, but with awe and with reverence. And then finally, Once that's sunk in, that you're approaching the lion of Judah, who is not safe, you remember and you remind yourself, but he's good. He's good. He's my father. And he wants to reward me because I am seeking his face today. And when all that sort of hits your heart and your heart and your mind is in a good place, then you prosarch your mind. Then you draw near with confidence, with reverence, and with faith in your God. Through his word, draw near. Now let me land the plane today by asking you this question. If I actually do this, if we actually do this, how's this gonna change our our quiet times? Like how is it gonna change? If we draw near to God, we pro-search him out of God through a time in his word, 
How is this gonna actually change what happens when we read our Bibles? And I've had a lot of time this week to think about the answer to that question. And here's what I've come up with, that if we'll actually do this, if we'll draw near to God with confidence and reverence and faith, here's what's gonna happen. I want you to listen very carefully. Our time in God's word is first and foremost not gonna be an intellectual exercise. But if we draw near to God, our time in God's word, first and foremost, is gonna be an act of worship. Did y'all catch that? If we draw near to the Lord with our hearts and our minds, first and foremost, that time in God's word, first and foremost, isn't gonna be an intellectual exercise, it's gonna be an act of worship. I was thinking about it. What's the language we use all the time when we talk about getting in the Bible? We say, hey, I'm going to Wednesday night Bible study. We always refer to the scripture as studying it. And that's okay, but that's like the way we think about it. We're studying the Bible. I I was thinking about it that my wife and I, we talk a, a lot about what we did in our quiet times. And we say things like, hey, what, what did you learn? What did you study? What what did you see in the text? And we're like, yeah, it was amazing. I learned something that I'd never seen before. I saw something I'd never seen before. And here's the point. I think we've gotten to the place where we view our time in God's word solely as just sort of this intellectual exercise instead of as a time where we draw near to the Lord through his word. And I think that's huge. I think that's huge. Because what I'm convinced that Peter is saying is that first and foremost, we don't read the Bible for what we can learn, but we read the Bible so that we can prosertimai, that we can draw near to God. Listen, we go to the word. We go to the word not just to draw out, but to draw near. We, We go to the word not just to not just to grow our knowledge, but to grow our worship. We go to the word, not just to know things about him, but to know him. And there's a radical difference between those two things. So Sagemon, are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you just studying his word? I love that you're studying his word. I love that you're learning stuff from his word. But what Peter's saying, and it's much bigger than that. You're not just studying it. You're drawing near to God. And I'll tell you something. I'm almost done. I'll tell you. This verse, as I sat there and thought about it. Guys, as I was reading that, that Peter's saying, look, we're not just studying the Bible. We're actually drawing near to the presence of God in the way that the Old Testament high priest you near the Holy of Holies. When that hit me, I had an epiphany. There's something that I've never understood my entire life. And it's this. How do you have two people? How in the world do you have two people that both grew up in church? They both spent their entire life in church. They both spent their entire lives studying God's word. They, they both know the Bible like the back of their hands. And 
Yet at the end of their lives, both of them look radically different in their Christ-likeness and their spiritual maturity. I've always wondered that. So I thought about two women that I know. And one of them I've talked to you about before. Her name was Miss Eunice. She was the sister of Brother Bill Teasdale, who's the famous Southern Baptist one-armed preacher. Man could preach the paint off the walls. My dad became a believer under his preaching. It was a sister named Miss Eunice. She was 80 years old. She spent her whole life in church. She spent her whole life getting in this book and she knew it like the back of her hand. In church, Miss Eunice was hands down one of the godliest women I've ever met in my entire life. She was so kind. She was one of these people that never had a negative thing to say about anyone, ever. You'd try to get her to, she wouldn't do it. She was loving. Every time you'd see her, she'd get this huge smile on her face and she would come to you as fast as she could and she'd give you a hug and she'd literally say, how can I pray for you? She was an encourager. Every time I got around that precious woman, she would just speak value into my life. Every time. And guys, she was a worshiper. This was at a church when I was a youth pastor in the woodlands and they were doing that crazy rock and roll music, you know. A lot of folks didn't like it. And I remember looking back one time and Miss Eunice was at the back row and she had one hand on the pew to hold herself up. She was 80. She had one hand on the pew holding herself up and the other hand in the air. Tears streaming down her face, worshiping Jesus. One of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. There's another lady in a different church when I was a youth pastor. I'm not gonna give you her name. I'll just call her, call her Karen. And uh, no offense if your name's Karen, I apologize for that. She was older. She too grew up in church. I knew her, she grew up in church. She grew up in Sunday school. She grew up in Bible study her whole life. She too knew the Bible like the back of her hand. But Karen was mean as a rattlesnake. She was. If you crossed her, you were in trouble. She was a gossip. Every time you get around her, she had something negative to say about the church, something negative to say about people in the church, about the staff. It was, all, it was negative. She was vindictive. If she didn't, I learned this the hard way as a 21-year-old youth pastor. If she didn't like you, she'd build a coalition against you. And so here's my question. How in the world can you have two women both whom have spent their entire lives learning God's word. And one of them can be the godliest, kindest, most Christ-like person you've ever met. And at the exact same time, the other can be just as mean and angry and vindictive as a person that's never darkened the doors of the church. And it's really simple. The answer to that question is really simple. And here is my aha epiphany that one woman spent her entire life studying God's word. And the other woman spent her entire life drawing near to God through his word. And it's entirely possible. This is the, the other part of the epiphany. It's entirely possible for you to spend your whole life studying the word of God and never drawing near to the God who wrote it. 
Because if all you do is study God's word, that's it. It's going to produce spiritual arrogance. But if you draw near to the presence of God through his word, it will absolutely change your life. And you'll look more like Jesus every single time. If we're going to be a church that God is calling us to be, if we're going to be a church that he blesses, if we're going to be a church that he moves in, if we're gonna be a church where this stuff is more than just words and we actually see God move in revival and start changing this city, that's where it begins. It begins with prayer and with drawing near to our God through his word. 